If you're enjoying this Crush Step 1 podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Questions podcast ad-free in one bundle. Just go to medpreptogo.com and find our new subscription podcast called the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Bundle. Hi, everyone. This is Ted O'Connell, one of the lead authors of Crush Step 1. Before we get started with this podcast episode, I want to tell you about a new project I'm working on called Med Prep to Go. It's a free online and audio USMLE question bank for step one and step two. And the goal of this project is to reduce the cost of medical education by developing a really high quality question bank that will be free and by putting it in audio format to give you some time back in your day. It's still relatively early in this project and we are actively adding new questions to the question banks and releasing additional episodes of our podcast. I'd like to encourage you to go check it out at medpreptogo.com. And if you want to get involved and learn how to write USMLE-style questions and contribute to this question bank, you can do that through the website at medpreptogo.com, or you can email me directly at ted.medpreptogo at gmail.com. And if you decide to get involved with learning how to write questions, we'll make sure you get some really good directions and mentorship through the process so that it's actually a really good learning experience for you and something that you can add to your CV. So I look forward to working with you. Please go check that out and we'll get started with this episode of the podcast. I'm Ted O'Connell, one of the authors of Crush Step One, the ultimate USMLE Step One review along with my co-authors, Ryan Pedigo and Thomas Blair. I am also the chief content officer for Inside the Boards. This is a Crush Step One podcast based on the second edition of our best-selling book. The goal is to provide you high yield and high quality audio content of the book to help you study on the go and reclaim some of the time in your day. This is John Damianos narrating part two of the gastroenterology chapter. Irritable bowel syndrome, IBS. IBS is abdominal discomfort associated with constipation or diarrhea, often alternating, in the absence of other organic GI pathologic conditions. Mucus may also be found in the stool. Diagnosis is based on the presence of two of three of the following clinical criteria, known as the Rome criteria. Symptoms relieved with defecation, association with a change in stool frequency, association with a change in stool appearance. Inflammatory bowel disease. Inflammatory bowel disease is an autoimmune disease of the gastrointestinal tract caused by the interaction between genetics, intestinal microbes, and the immune system. It is divided into ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. Ulcerative colitis, UC. UC is an autoimmune inflammatory condition of the colon. Patients present with relapsing episodes of bloody diarrhea, mucus-covered stools, and cramping. Colonoscopy reveals inflammation that begins in the rectum and spreads continuously as far as the cecum. Pseudopolyps, which are areas of normal mucosa 
that appear polypoid compared with the surrounding ulcerated or friable mucosa may be seen on colonoscopy. Barium enema may reveal absence of hostral markings known as a lead pipe colon. See figure 10.20. Histologic examination demonstrates inflammation and ulceration of the mucosa and submucosa, as well as crypt abscesses. Unlike in Crohn's disease, ulcerations do not involve the full thickness of the bowel and there is no granuloma formation. Extra-intestinal manifestations of the disease include primary sclerosing cholangitis, polyarthritis, uveitis, pyoderma gangrenosum, and erythema nodosum. Patients with UC are at increased risk for colon cancer and should be screened with colonoscopy starting eight years after diagnosis. Treatment involves five ASA compounds, such as sulfasalazine, steroids, and biologics, including infliximab. Colectomy with ileoanal anastomosis is usually curative for colitis, but does not treat extraintestinal manifestations. Crohn disease. An autoimmune inflammatory condition of the entire GI tract but most commonly affecting the ileocecal region. Patients may present with abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, often with the passage of blood and mucus. Colonoscopy reveals skip lesions, ulcers that may be present anywhere from mouth to rectum. Histologic examination reveals transmural full-thickness inflammation and may include non-caseating granulomas. Complications include abscesses, strictures, fistulas, and fissures. Crohn disease's damage to the ileum, or surgical treatment with resection of the ileum, may cause a deficiency in vitamin B12 and bile salts, which are absorbed in the ileum. A relative lack of bile salts can also lead to impaired absorption of fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K. Also, the presence of bile salts in the colon is cathartic and may worsen diarrhea. Therefore, cholestyramine, a bile acid binding resin, can be used to bind bile salts and prevent their cathartic effect. Extraintestinal manifestations are similar to UC. However, primary sclerosing cholangitis is comparatively rare. The risk of colon cancer is elevated in Crohn's disease, although less so than in UC. Treatment is similar to UC, but surgery is not curative and recurrent bowel resection may lead to short bowel syndrome, malabsorption, and steatorrhea caused by decreased intestinal length. Both UC and Crohn disease are associated with the HLA-B27 major histocompatibility complex. See Table 10.2. Colonic polyps. A colonic polyp is a protrusion of mucosal tissue into the colonic lumen. Polyps can be divided into multiple groups by histology and malignant potential. Hyperplastic polyps. Colonic epithelial proliferation leads to a piling up effect of cells. No malignant potential. 
hamartomatous polyps. When occurring spontaneously, these do not have malignant potential. However, when occurring as part of juvenile polyposis syndrome or Peutz-Jaegers syndrome, there is significant malignant potential. Adenomas. The most common neoplastic polyp and the precursor lesion to colonic adenocarcinoma. Histologically, these display epithelial dysplasia. A polyp's risk of malignancy is related to its size, degree of dysplasia, and architecture. From greatest to least risk of malignancy, villus, tubulovillus, tubular histology. See figure 10.21. Colon cancer. Colon cancer is the third leading cause of cancer death in North America. Most are caused by adenocarcinomas. Current guidelines recommend screening for colon cancer every 10 years starting at age 50. In patients with a family history of colon cancer, screening should begin 10 years before the age at which the youngest affected first-degree relative was diagnosed. Patients may be asymptomatic, with cancer found on screening colonoscopy. Patients may also present with hematochesia, obstruction, or small-caliber stools. In general, left-sided cancers tend to obstruct because the colonic lumen is narrower and the stool is more solid. Right-sided cancers, on the other hand, tend to bleed. Bleeding may be occult, however, so GI malignancy should be considered in patients with iron deficiency anemia or positive fecal occult blood tests. The liver is the most common site of metastatic disease because of portal drainage. However, perianal lesions drain through the caval system and are thus less likely to metastasize to the liver. Lynch syndrome, also called hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancer, HNPCC, caused by autosomal dominant mutations leading to defective DNA mismatch repair and subsequent microsatellite instability, leading to increased risk of colon, endometrial, and ovarian cancers. In Lynch syndrome, colon cancer may occur without being preceded by a polyp. It is the most common form of syndromic colon cancer. Peutz-Jaegers syndrome, autosomal dominant condition caused by a tumor suppressor gene mutation. It leads to a syndrome of multiple hamartomatous GI polyps, mucocutaneous hyperpigmentation, and high risk of GI, colon, gastric, small intestine, and genitourinary cancers. Juvenile polyposis syndrome, autosomal dominant condition leading to multiple hamartomatous polyps presenting in children younger than five years old. These polyps are mostly located in the rectum, and complications include bleeding, obstruction, and intussusception. Approximately 50% of patients will develop adenocarcinoma. Familial adenomatous polyposis, FAP. FAP is caused by the autosomal dominant mutation of the adenomatous polyposis coli, APC, gene. 
The APC gene mutation leads to hundreds of polyps in the colon and throughout the GI tract, with the lifetime risk of malignancy approaching 100% without treatment. Treated with prophylactic colectomy. Turco syndrome. Mutation of a DNA mismatch repair gene leading to polyposis and the presence of central nervous system, CNS tumors, especially medulloblastoma. Essentially, FAP plus medulloblastoma. Gardner syndrome. Essentially, FAP plus osteomas. Diarrhea. Osmotic. Occurs when water is drawn into the bowel because of an increase in luminal osmoles. Osmotic laxatives such as magnesium hydroxide, milk of magnesia, act in this manner. In lactose intolerance, disaccharidase deficiency, lactose is the offending osmol. Sorbitol is poorly absorbed and may cause osmotic diarrhea in patients consuming a lot of low-calorie sweetener, for example, sugar-free gum. Osmotic diarrhea resolves with fasting or withdrawal of the offending agent. Secretory. An increase in intestinal secretion of ions and water, causing extremely watery stools. Most notably, Vibrio cholerae produces the cholera toxin, which irreversibly activates the enterocyte's GS subunit. GS then stimulates cyclic adenosine monophosphate, CAMP, mediated secretion of ions and water, causing so-called rice water diarrhea. It does not improve with fasting. Exudative. Diarrhea with the presence of blood or pus in the stool is considered exudative. It may be secondary to inflammatory bowel disease, IBD, or infectious in origin. Shigella and Salmonella species, Enterohemorrhagic Escherichia coli, and Entamoeba histolytica are the common culprit pathogens. It does not improve with fasting. Deranged motility. Anything that reduces gut transit time may lead to an increase in the frequency of loose stools. Surgical resection, carcinoid syndrome, hyperthyroidism, and IBS all cause diarrhea partially through decreasing transit time. GI irritants, such as blood, also have decreased transit time and can increase the frequency of stools. Diverticular disease. An outpouching of mucosa and submucosa through the muscularis propria that is covered by the serosa. Technically pseudodiverticula, or false diverticula, because they do not contain all layers of the wall. See figure 10.22. These outpouchings are extremely common and generally asymptomatic. They tend to occur in the sigmoid colon, in which luminal pressure is the highest, and specifically around the vasorecta, where the penetrating blood vessels create a local area of weakness. Anything that increases colonic pressure is a risk factor, including low-fiber diets, obesity, and straining with defecation, such as seen in chronic constipation. Diverticulitis. 
occurs when there is a microperforation of a diverticulum, leading to inflammation and focal necrosis. Clinically, patients tend to present with more than 24 hours of left lower quadrant abdominal pain and tenderness, and sometimes low-grade fever, nausea, and vomiting. Because diverticulitis tends to recur, many patients will report similar previous episodes. The history and physical examination alone may be enough to diagnose a recurrence of diverticulitis. Colonoscopy is contraindicated during active inflammation, but CT is diagnostic and will reveal complications. Although the omentum tends to wall off the inflammatory process, complications include peritonitis, secondary perforation, abscess formation, fistulas, and strictures. Uncomplicated diverticulitis can be treated with antibiotics directed against colonic flora, predominantly gram-negative rods and anaerobes. The combination of ciprofloxacin and metronidazole is commonly used. Bleeding diverticulosis. Diverticula tend to occur around the vasa recta, where the penetrating blood vessels create local weakness. The associated vasa recta are then only protected by the overlying mucosa and are at risk for bleeding, even from trivial intraluminal trauma. Bleeding can be profound and presents as hematochesia. Diagnosis and treatment can be achieved via colonoscopy. Anal fissure. A painful tear in the rectal mucosa below the dentate line. It presents as anal or rectal pain that is exquisitely tender with defecation or digital rectal examination. The fissure may be visible on physical examination or may be associated with a sentinel tag, a perianal skin tag at the site of the fissure. Treatment is with stool softeners, sitz baths, high-fiber diet, and topical anesthetics such as lidocaine. Hemorrhoids. These are dilated hemorrhoidal veins in the submucosal layer of the rectum. Hemorrhoids are present in approximately 25% of adults. Constipation contributes to their formation. Improvement may be seen with a high-fiber diet and stool softeners, which can reduce straining during defecation. Hemorrhoids may bleed, but rarely is bleeding severe. Most often, a small amount of bright red blood is noted on the toilet paper with wiping or streaked along the side of a normal stool. Do not confuse hemorrhoids with perianal skin tags that may represent the sentinel tag of an anal fissure. Internal hemorrhoids. Located above the dentate or pectinate line, internal hemorrhoids cause bleeding from the superior hemorrhoidal veins. Because innervation is visceral, internal hemorrhoids are painless. They may, however, prolapse and become palpable. Treatment is with band ligation. External hemorrhoids. Located below the pectinate line, external hemorrhoids arise from dilation of the inferior hemorrhoidal veins and are covered with squamous epithelium. Because their innervation is somatic, they may be pruritic or painful, especially if thrombosed. Laboratory tests. Laboratory tests of the liver 
can be divided into three groups, hepatocyte cytosolic enzymes, biliary analysis, and hepatic synthetic function. Although somewhat of an oversimplification, collectively these tests are referred to as liver function tests. Hepatocyte cytosolic enzymes. Aspartate aminotransferase and alanine aminotransferase. Aspartate aminotransferase, AST, and alanine aminotransferase, ALT, are hepatocyte cytosolic enzymes important in amino acid metabolism. Clinically, they are markers of hepatocyte damage because they are leaked into the serum when hepatocytes are injured. The normal reference range for AST and ALT is 5 to 40 units per liter. Levels tend to be extremely high, over 1,000 units per liter, in acute viral hepatitis, acetaminophen or other toxin poisoning, and shock liver, and more modestly elevated, over 100 units per liter, in chronic forms of hepatitis. The ratio of ALT to AST can also be useful in diagnosing the cause of liver inflammation. Whenever liver inflammation is present, the rise in ALT tends to be greater than the rise in AST. In alcoholic hepatitis, however, AST is twice as elevated as ALT. Think AST, Smirnoff vodka. Importantly, the degree of enzymatic elevation does not necessarily correlate with the severity of liver failure. A patient with end-stage liver disease, for example, may only have a slight elevation of AST and ALT levels because most of the liver has already been destroyed. A patient with hepatitis A, on the other hand, may have AST and ALT values over 1,000 units per liter, but maintain a fully functional liver after recovery. Biliary Analysis Bilirubin In the spleen, heme released from senescent red blood cells is broken down to unconjugated bilirubin. The insoluble, inexcretable, unconjugated form travels to the liver bound to albumin, where it is conjugated with glucuronic acid to form conjugated or direct bilirubin. This form is then excreted from the body in the bile. In the gut, bacteria convert conjugated bilirubin to urobilinogen, part of which is excreted in the feces as stercobilin. The rest is resorbed and excreted again in bile or secreted in the urine as urobilin. Conditions that limit the metabolic function of the liver, such as cirrhosis, cause elevations in the unconjugated bilirubin level. Furthermore, an increase in the production of bilirubin, for example, intravascular or extravascular hemolysis, will also elevate unconjugated bilirubin. On the other hand, a patient with a cholestatic process, such as cholodocolithiasis, will be able to conjugate bilirubin but will be unable to excrete it, resulting in a rise in conjugated bilirubin levels. Interestingly, hemoglobin is a colorful molecule and, along with its breakdown products, is responsible for the red color of blood, yellow color of urine, urobilin, brown color of feces, stercobilin, and yellow discoloration of jaundice, bilirubin. 
A patient with a cholestatic process, such as cholelithiasis or cholangiocarcinoma, will be unable to excrete bilirubin into the feces and will have clay-colored or acolic stools. A patient who cannot conjugate bilirubin will also subsequently lack urobilin, so although the patient may be jaundiced from unconjugated bilirubin, the urine will not appear more yellow because unconjugated bilirubin will not pass through the glomerular basement membrane because it is bound to albumin. Alkaline phosphatase, AP. AP is a ubiquitous enzyme that, as the name suggests, removes phosphates most efficiently in alkaline environments. This enzyme is particularly concentrated in the biliary tree, bone, and placenta. The AP level is often elevated in cholestatic syndromes and in bile duct obstruction, such as cholangitis. Gamma-glutamyltransferase, another enzyme of amino acid metabolism that is elevated in diseases of the biliary tree. The gamma-glutamyltransferase, GGT, level is elevated along with AP but is more specific to biliary disease and so will not be increased in bone disease. It is also raised with alcohol ingestion. Hepatic synthetic function. Prothrombin time and international normalized ratio. Because the liver makes most clotting factors, an elevation of the prothrombin time, PT, and international normalized ratio, INR, suggests impaired hepatic synthetic function, such as in cirrhosis. Albumin. Albumin is a ubiquitous protein that is made in the liver and is thus a true marker of hepatic synthetic function. It is very important in that it serves to carry factors and molecules, like unconjugated bilirubin, calcium, and many others, throughout the body, as well as provide oncotic pressure to the intravascular fluids. However, Albumin can be lowered in non-hepatic pathologic conditions, including nephrotic syndrome and malnutrition. Additionally, albumin is an acute phase reactant, and its serum concentration decreases with systemic inflammation. Hepatic pathology. For viral hepatitis, see Chapter 5, Microbiology. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. A spectrum of liver disease that closely resembles alcoholic liver disease, but is associated with metabolic syndrome, diabetes, obesity, dyslipidemia, and hypertension. Non-alcoholic steatosis is an early finding with elevation of AST and ALT levels and a hypoechoic, fatty, liver on imaging with no apparent cause except for obesity and or metabolic syndrome. Treatment involves diet, exercise, and management of metabolic comorbidities such as diabetes. Non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, NASH, is non-alcoholic steatosis plus biopsy-proven histologic evidence of inflammation. If untreated, cirrhosis may develop. Alcoholic hepatitis. Chronic alcohol consumption leading to fatty infiltration, similar to non-alcoholic steatosis. Eventually, transaminase levels will rise secondary to hepatocyte damage. The AST to ALT ratio may be more than 2 to 1. Mallory bodies, eosinophilic keratin filament inclusion bodies, may be present on biopsy. 
These are more commonly found in alcoholic hepatitis than in NASH. Hemochromatosis. Autosomal recessive disorder of the HFE gene, acronym for high FE2+, leading to dysregulated overabsorption of iron and excessive hemosiderin accumulation, causing free radical damage. Patients present with cirrhosis, bronzed skin, diabetes, pancreatic infiltration, and cardiomyopathy. Diagnosis is suspected with high serum iron and ferritin levels and confirmed with genetic testing. Liver biopsy with Prussian blue staining reveals hemosiderin deposits. Treatment is aimed at normalizing iron stores via repeated phlebotomy. Secondary hemochromatosis is caused by excessive iron intake, usually after repeated red blood cell transfusions, such as for beta thalassemia. Wilson disease. Autosomal recessive disorder of Wilson disease protein, an ATPase responsible for transporting copper into bile and important in the formation of ceruloplasmin, the transport protein for copper. The inability to excrete copper leads to an increase in the free serum copper level, although the total serum copper may be high, low, or normal, given the relative lack of ceruloplasmin to transport copper. Consequently, copper accumulates in the liver, cirrhosis, brain, cognitive deterioration and Parkinsonism, and cornea, Kaiser-Fleischer rings. Diagnosis is based on a decrease in levels of serum ceruloplasmin, an elevation in urinary copper levels, and copper deposits seen on liver biopsy. Treatment involves chelation with D-penicillamine. Alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. Autosomal recessive defect of alpha-1 antitrypsin, A1AT, a protein that inactivates proteases and protects tissues from their enzymatic destruction. A1AT deficiency leads to early emphysema, see chapter 17, and accumulation of A1AT in the hepatocyte endoplasmic reticulum, leading to cirrhosis. In a non-smoker with early-onset emphysema, A1AT deficiency should be considered as the cause of the cirrhosis. Histologic examination reveals PAS-positive granules. It should be noted that null homozygotes, those whose mutation prevents synthesis, do not develop liver pathologic conditions. Liver pathologic conditions are only seen in patients with mutations that cause polymerization of the mutated A1AT protein within hepatocytes, which is most commonly in patients homozygous with the Z allele. Cirrhosis. The final common pathway of liver disease and a pathologic diagnosis based on the presence of regenerative nodules surrounded by fibrosis. See figure 10.23. Sequelae of cirrhosis are secondary to impaired metabolic function of the liver and portal hypertension. Impaired metabolic function leads to impaired hepatic breakdown of estrogen, causing gynecomastia, testicular atrophy, palmar erythema, and spider angiomata via weakening of vascular walls and localized vasodilation. Impaired synthesis of clotting factors causes a coagulopathy reflected by an elevation of PT-INR values 
and later partial thromboplastin time as well. Finally, hepatic encephalopathy may occur, leading to altered mental status and asterixis, flapping tremor of negative myoclonus. Although the mechanism of hepatic encephalopathy is not entirely clear, it is associated with an elevated serum ammonia level. See figure 10.24. Portal hypertension occurs because the fibrosed liver cannot handle as much blood flow through the portal circulation, leading to complications such as varices and ascites. Portal hypertension. Defined as a pressure gradient greater than 10 millimeters of mercury between the portal vein entering the liver and hepatic veins leaving the liver. The hypertension is usually intrahepatic, sinusoidal, secondary to cirrhosis, as described earlier. Rarely, however, it may be post-hepatic, secondary to hepatic vein thrombosis, called Budd-Chiari syndrome, or prehepatic, secondary to portal vein thrombosis. The sequelae of portal hypertension are outlined here. Portosystemic shunting. As portal pressure rises, more blood is shunted through collateral vessels into the caval system. This results in a dilation of systemic venous collaterals. Caput medusae, dilation of periumbilical veins and abdominal wall veins causing the appearance of the head, caput, of medusa on the abdominal wall. Hemorrhoids, dilation of veins near the rectum, specifically between the superior rectal and middle and inferior rectal veins. Esophageal varices. This is the most clinically important example of portosystemic shunting. Varices are present in 30 to 60% of cirrhotics. Dilated periesophageal veins, fed from collaterals from the left gastric vein, often begin as asymptomatic, but may spontaneously rupture leading to massive upper GI bleeding. A GI bleed in a cirrhotic patient should be considered variceal until proven otherwise, although other causes are possible. Prophylaxis may be accomplished with non-selective beta blockers, such as propranolol, or endoscopic banding of varices. Management of acute bleeding involves resuscitation, with IV fluids and blood transfusion as needed, and IV octreotide, a synthetic somatostatin and splanchnic vasoconstrictor that mitigates bleeding. Broad-spectrum antibiotics, like ceftriaxone, are used prophylactically to prevent bacteremia and spontaneous bacterial peritonitis caused by esophageal flora. Endoscopic banding should be attempted emergently. Splenomegaly. Enlarged spleen secondary to collateral flow from the splenic vein. Ascites. Portal hypertension causes increased portal hydrostatic pressure. This, combined with decreased oncotic pressure from impaired albumin production, leads to fluid accumulation in the peritoneal cavity. This process can also lead to generalized edema, anasarca. Hepatorenal syndrome. Splanchnic vasodilation leading to poor renal perfusion. Hepatorenal syndrome is a late sequela with very poor prognosis. Bud-Chiari syndrome, hepatic vein thrombosis, is often idiopathic but is associated with hypercoagulable states, 
especially polycythemia vera. It presents with the classic triad of abdominal pain, ascites, and hepatomegaly. To remember how to distinguish Bud Chiari from Arnold Chiari, a neurologic malformation, think Bud for blockage of the hepatic vein. With that, we wrap up today's episode of the Crush Step 1 podcast. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, the publishing company behind Crush Step 1, as well as all of my other books, for allowing us to put out this book in podcast format. Thank you for joining us, and please check out our other chapters. 